Well, Holy Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, Father, for being here. We thank you for your love that surpasses all understanding that we don't deserve it, we can't earn it. We definitely, again, don't deserve it because of all the things that we've done that we've turned away from you and yet you still present your love to us. Give us your blessings. Give us your salvation. Give us your presence. So we thank you. We praise you. We glorify you, Father. We ask you to bless this time and this service. Help us to be glorifying to you continuously in our lives and even beyond this service. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Thank you, guys. Am I, am I kicking out children? Okay, children, you are officially kicked out. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> this is probably my favorite part because it's like, come on, whoosh, go. Whoosh. <laughs> <laughs> follow pastor danielle and anna and whoever else is going back there <laughs> kenny we said age not iq you got to stay right there buddy that's why i'm here <laughs> how about them dodgers buddy <laughs> well good morning good to see everybody um, we have, last Sunday, we finished the last of the four squares of four square. We went through each and every one, Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Baptizer of the Holy Spirit, Jesus the Healer, and then last week we finished off with Jesus the soon coming King. And again, you know, we talked about we're a four-square church, but to be all honest with you, these are all tenants of the church. Again, denomination doesn't matter. It's not like when we all get to heaven, there's going to be a four-square section and a Baptist section and a Presbyterian section. It's anybody and everybody who followed Christ, and that's the end of it. So we went through that, and then... Before that, in the month of November, we kind of took some time to focus on thankfulness, and we heard from different people. Then in the month of December, we took time to, you know, celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus the Savior. We heard from multiple people. During that time, I'm not going to name any names, but I am because he's not in here. Stephen kept asking me when we're going back to Acts. We're going back today. (laughs) We are going to return back to Acts. God willing, we will finish it up. Um... But we're going to go back to chapter 22 because we finished 21 a few months ago. But let's go over some context. See, the the whole thing about looking at the book of Acts is we're looking at Jesus' work within the early church. Now, again, I always emphasize this every time we go back to Acts because I've heard a lot of churches and a lot of people do this, that they idolize the early church. Like that's the pinnacle of the perfected church, that they did everything right. We should just go back to what they were doing. But if you really look at Acts, it's really the opposite. They were just as much of a hot mess as we are today. There was some fractions here. There was some dissonance here. 
There was some deviating from the path over here. But the whole point of what we're looking at is what Jesus said was important. We were looking at the fact that Jesus constantly had to course correct the church. We would start going this way, and Jesus would step in and say, it's time to go back this way. This is where I told you to go. And so looking through all that, we need to see what Jesus says for all of us to do. And we'll see pretty soon, we're, we're going to focus, we've been focused on looking at the course correction within Paul's life. And we're going to kind of look at what Paul went through and who he was before and, and before he met Jesus. And we're going to start off with looking at a speech that he's, he's being presented to this angry mob within the temple. He's in the temple of Jerusalem. And we're going to take a look at a, a speech that he says. But what led up to this is Paul had been going through all of the churches. He had been going through the Gentiles. He had been called to go to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. And churches had been established as he went along. And so he felt the need. He, he prayed and felt that he needed to go back to Jerusalem during the time of Pentecost. And so throughout that time, he's going through and, and kind of visiting his other churches and making sure that they're okay and letting them know. And through the Holy Spirit, um, the churches are warning Paul, hey, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. There's going to be a lot of bad things. You're going to be bound up. There's going to be a lot of problems. But Paul noticed that the Holy Spirit never said, don't go to Jerusalem the Holy Spirit was just letting him know to prepare for what's about to happen. And so we see Paul make his travels. We go over here, and one of the accusations against Paul was is he had turned his back on his Jewishness. He had been telling people, you don't follow the law of Moses, don't circumcise your kids. That was a really, really big deal, um, which wasn't the case at all. He was just saying that none of that saves you pretty much is what he was saying. And he was saying that the Gentiles are not obligated to do such things. Well, that was the other problem, is Paul was open and, and friendly towards Gentiles. And so what happens is, is he goes to the Jewish Christians, and the Jewish Christians say, hey, perform this Nazarite task, perform this Nazarite vow with some Jewish brethren to kind of as a peace offering. Look, Paul is still Jewish. He has nothing against Judaism. Look at what he's doing in the temple. Well, this is kind of a good idea until it backfires because there's another accusation. Paul is being accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple, which is a huge no-no. There was the court of the Gentiles that we could go into, but further than that was a huge no-no. And so this angry mob comes up, and, and they're accusing him of this thing, and they're literally trying to rip him apart and kill him. This is an angry mob until a Roman garrison comes and takes him away. They kind of try to figure out what's going on and who he is and what's happening. And then he asks to pre, to, if he could speak to this crowd. And so we see him. They allow him to do so, and he steps out. And what happens is, is he starts speaking in Hebrew, which is a huge deal. It kind of quiets everybody down. So he starts speaking to them in Hebrew, 
And then now we're going to take a look at what Paul is telling this group of Jews. Let's go to Acts 22, 1 through 3. Well, I had I did? I pressed too many buttons. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in Hebrew, they kept all the more silent. They said, he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus, but brought up in the city, in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are today. So here's the deal. Here's, here's the context. The reason why they all got real quiet when he spoke to them in Hebrew is he's making sure to specifically address the Jews. Okay, There's all kinds of different people. And the predominant language at the time was really Greek. Law, every, it, it, it's like English today. Like the, the language of business, the language of commerce is typically today English, and that's the way Greek was. So if you spoke in Greek, you're addressing an entire group of people. But Paul is trying to say, look, I am a Jew. I'm going to speak to you in my Jewishness. And they're like, oh, because no Roman, no Gentile is really going to know Hebrew. So he's talking to them in their language. He's being very Jewish to his Jewish audience, appealing to their Jewishness. And he brings up where he comes from. In fact, he's born in Tarsus, but he was raised right there basically in Jerusalem. Not only that, but he was taught under the strictest sense of the law under the great teacher Gamaliel. This is the equivalent today. I don't know if some of you have heard this, but that's like someone saying that they studied under D.L. Moody or Charles Spurgeon or one of these great titans of the faith. This is a huge deal. This is someone that a lot of people know. And this is the same teacher who revered in his time and even now. He is one of the great rabbis that Jews still revere to this day. After discussing, there, there's a part in Acts where we looked at, they were discussing what to do with these disciples because they won't shut up about Jesus. And they've arrested him, they beat him, said stop talking about Jesus, and they'll let him go. And then they start talking about Jesus. And so they all get together, and they're trying to figure this out. But Gamaliel specifically points out, he's a very smart man. Look at Acts 5. This is what he says. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this is the plan or this is the work of men, it will come to nothing. But if it's of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Basically, leave them alone. If they're just saying words and being goofy, then it'll just fall apart. As a matter of fact, he points out, Hey, remember when this guy, he said he was somebody, he raised up some people, and then he was crushed and defeated. And this guy did the same thing and crushed and defeated. He goes, if they're the same thing, then just let it play out. It's not going to harm anything. But if this is really of God, you don't, you, you don't want to be found fighting God. So just leave him alone. This is the same guy. And with the weight of that name, Paul is basically saying he's not 
just some schmuck. He thoroughly knows the law. He was raised under the strictest sense of the law. He even goes on to remind the crowd that at one point, he was the favorite son of Israel, doing the bidding of the high priest and the council of the elders. And verses 4 through 5, I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness in the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. He's kind of saying, hey, you should remember me. At one point, I would have been completely welcomed here. You would have embraced me with open arms. And now he's being surrounded by an angry mob who wants to rip him apart. And here's something I do want to point out. When Paul came to the faith, when he became a believer, I want to point this out because a lot of people think that Christianity is a crux used by people who want to maintain power and gain wealth and different things like that. A lot of people accuse the church of doing that. Paul is the exact opposite. Paul lost everything. He lost reputation. He lost status. He lost wealth. He lost it all. For the sake of Christ, he came at the top of the top of his society. He had a bright future ahead of him. He was the guy and yet lost it all. As a matter of fact, I, I, he, he mentions this in Philippians. Three, four through six. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness which is in the law, blameless. There was no earthly reason for Paul to come to Jesus. He had everything. He had it all. But in the end, he actually realized, even though he thought he had everything, he had nothing. And I want to point this out because I don't want us to make that same mistake. Because there's a lot of people uh, here coming to Jesus. You know, people will tell you, hey, just come to Jesus and everything will be great. He's going to come in, he's going to fix your life. You're, you know, it's going to be easy. It's going to be wonderful. He's going to bless you so much and give you everything. And while I completely agree and understand that God will absolutely, he blesses you. Danielle and I have been completely blessed by God throughout our lives. But I want to make sure this one thing. We also have to make sure and be willing to give up and even lose things because of Jesus. Sometimes your reputation, sometimes your status, sometimes material, even to the point of your own life for the sake of Christ. This does not say willy-nilly go out and try to lose your life. Don't do that. But you have to be willing to lose it for Christ's sake. 
This is one of the things, the, the big deal about when Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler. And he said, okay, what do I got to do to get into heaven? And, and Jesus said, you know, follow this command, this command, this command. He goes, I've done all that. And Jesus said, okay, give up your great wealth. That was not saying that no Christian can ever have some sort of wealth. That was him specifically. That is the one thing you're holding on to more than God, and you need to let it go. And that was the point. You have to be willing to give it up and give to God. Look at the things that we had before knowing Jesus as junk compared to knowing him and having eternal life. And because Paul goes on to say in Philippians, but what things were gained to me, these things I count as loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of, no, of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. It's all about Jesus. He is worthy of and has to be so much more important than anything and anyone in your life. Anything and anyone. Now again, this, you know, a lot of cults use this idea of trying to cut you off from your family or, or separate you from the ones that you love. This is not that. But you have to be willing. If Danielle today said, I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. I'm done with this church stuff. I don't believe in any of it. I have to love and follow Jesus more than her to the point to where I have to say, I'm going to keep going. No matter what. It has to be that way. And just like Paul, you may have your life all figured out. You may have everything great in your life. You may think you're good and you don't need anything, but the problem is, is like the rest of us, even if you think you have your life straightened out here, and you may, all of us without Jesus are heading down a path of destruction. It may be a comfortable ride, but you're still heading down a path of destruction without Jesus. Because all of us, we talked about that with Jesus the Savior, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of those sin is death. So whether you have your life in order here and now or whether your life is falling apart, we're all on the same road to destruction until you put your trust in, believe in, and follow Christ Jesus. Because your life may be great now, but the next one won't be so much. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 16. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man exchange, give in exchange for his soul? See, eternity is the key here. Are you going to risk spending eternity for this fleeting kind of blink of an eye life that we have right here? Or are you going to decide to turn away from the world and follow Jesus even when it's difficult? for the sake of eternal life with him and in heaven. Paul made that same choice for the eternal reward, just like Moses did, as explained in Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. By faith, 
Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. See, again, just like, just like Paul, Moses had no need to go with the Hebrews, to be um, throw in his lot with the Hebrews at the time when they were slaves to Egypt and being mistreated and things. He had everything. He could have just ignored that and been part of the royal family in Egypt and had a great and wonderful life. He, he would have wanted for nothing. And yet Moses through the power of the Holy Spirit, saw the future ahead and saw that the Savior was coming and saw what God was doing in the people of Israel and said, even though I may have it difficult, even though I'm going to wander the desert for 40 years, even though I'm going to have these people constantly complaining to me and having all kinds of problems, I choose to walk the way of God than the way of the world because that will be fleeting talks about the treasures of Egypt. Egypt used to be once a huge superpower, empire. Look at the treasures of Egypt now. Look at all the great structures of Egypt. Though most of them are still standing there in ruins. It means nothing. It's fleeting. It's dust. And so we, we take the time to realize that though it's difficult here, God's path is a greater reward than what the, earth, than the world could ever give us. And then we continue on. Because Paul had everything, God made a momentous entrance in his life. We're going to look. It's a bit long, but bear with me. But he's bearing his testimony to what Jesus did for him. 22, 6 through 8. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus. At about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him, and he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple there I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. 
And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. So I know that was long, but that's Paul's story. That was his life before Jesus. And then he's showing his life in the beginning after encountering Christ. And it's all because of this powerful encounter with Jesus. He was going one direction and Jesus came and confronted him and now he's going a completely different way. And here's the thing. We should all know our story. We all have a before Jesus and an after Jesus. We should all know this. We should embrace and even acknowledge some of the things and and ways that we used to be, not to relish in it, not to be ashamed of it, but it's for his glory. Because it shows the world, if you can be saved from that, then maybe I can be saved from that. Look at how great the love of this God is. Look how much he saves us. We should show the world that there is a God who loves them and wants to do an amazing work in people's lives. Because there's a lot of hopelessness in the, in the world. There's been a lot of hopelessness in the world. And so if we share our testimony, man, I was going this direction, and then somehow Jesus came and found me, and now I'm going in this direction, and I thank God because I was heading straight for death. We can tell the people that there is still a God who loves them and has hope for them. And again, this brings me to one of my last points today. I said this a few weeks ago. I want to point this out. If you ever, ever think you are too far gone for salvation, as a matter of fact, we were involved in in Taft with the CMA group out there, and they would do a ministry in in the juvenile facilities where you would just sit with them, talk with them, try to share Jesus with them, let them tell them their lives, And there was a 14-year-old boy who talked to one of the CMA members, and he said, you have no idea what I have done. God wouldn't even dare look at me. But again, if you think you're too far gone, if you ever think that there's so much in your life that you have done that there's no possibility of forgiveness or eternal life or God couldn't possibly love you, as a matter of fact, he hates you, take a look at Paul's life. Look at Paul. At one point, he was one of the most dangerous men if you believed in Jesus. He gladly, gladly took the lives of men and women. Paul started off with his story with, I persecuted this way to the death, bringing and delivering into prison both men and women. He gladly took their lives for following Jesus. He even thought God was on his side when he did it. The apostles, when when Paul finally did come to Christ and he was taken into Jerusalem, the apostles didn't even want to meet with him at first because he had such a bloody and violent reputation against Christians. They were terrified to meet with him. That is a man with a terrible reputation. And yet still, 
God reaches out to him, implores him to call on the name of Jesus, be baptized and washed of his sins. Not only that, but God then calls him into ministry, saying, okay, you're going to be doing the work of Christ. You're going to be doing certain things. And he even tries to ignore, or argue with God. He reminds God of his sins. Look at what I've done. You're telling me that I'm going to go out and preach and do all this stuff. Look at my reputation. And God just says, okay, depart and go to the Gentiles. In other words, Paul's like, okay, but I've sinned, I've sinned, I've sinned, I've sinned. And God's like standing back going, are you done? Okay, anyways, go do what I told you to go do. Because you've been forgiven of all that. Again, I always say this. The blood of Jesus doesn't just cover your sins. It wipes them out to the point to where God doesn't remember. He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. You're my child now. I only see Jesus and his righteousness. Go. And that is the exact same thing for each and every one of us. Paul isn't just special just because he's Paul. It doesn't matter who we were, what we did, where we come from. As long as we have breath in our lungs, we can come to Jesus and be saved. As a matter of fact, he implores us and reaches out his hand saying, come to me, call on my name, be washed of your sins, and be New, Romans 10, 9 through 11. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scriptures say, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. There is no shame You don't come before Christ with your sins and say, I've done this, I've done that. And he's like, how awful and terrible you have been. He just says, come and be washed. Follow me. He does that with his disciples. He does that with all of us. I mean, again, I always use me as reference, but look at me. Before before Christ, my life, again, was a garbage fire hot mess. I made terrible choices. I did things that I shouldn't have been doing. I thought things I shouldn't have been thinking. I made bad decisions. I lived my life my own way and made a complete disaster of it. But here's the deal. God still then called me. He still reached out to me. And not only that, he saved me. Again, I am telling you. And then he calls me into ministry for some odd reason. And this is my point. On my own merit, on my own talents, of my own accord, I've said this before, I have no business doing this. None. Just because I'm a pastor does not mean I'm holier than anybody. As a matter of fact, I'm probably dumber than everybody. I have no business being up here. None. Of myself. Of my flesh. Remember I said I made a hot mess of my own life. If I was trying to make my own decisions up here, 
this probably would have burned down like six months ago. I'm not going to lie. But again, anything that I do, anything that I say, any good that comes out of me is only because of the calling of God the Father, the salvation of God the Son, and the power of God the Holy Spirit. All glory, honor, and praise belong to him alone. End of discussion. It's the same for everybody. Don't think, well, I'm not qualified. Well, no kidding, neither am I. But Jesus makes you qualified. The Holy Spirit will dwell in you to even give you the power to do the things he's calling you to do. Encouraging, interpretation, discernment, preaching, teaching, whatever the case is, he indwells you and empowers you to do it so that you too can say, all glory and honor go to him. It's the same thing for everybody. Remember Paul. You may lose a lot in this world because of Jesus, but it is worth it. I mean, again, there's ups and downs. I'm I'm not saying that once you become a Christian, you're immediately going to become destitute. (laughs) Paul even says, I know the trick of being in want and in plenty, and that is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, we talk about how rough it is to not have anything. And, you know, I've been poor before, been on welfare, all that good stuff. But it's the, the trouble can come when you're in plenty because then you don't think you need God. So Paul is saying, I know the trick because I remember I can only do any of this through Christ who strengthens me. So the point is, keep your eyes on Jesus and remember that no matter what happens, It's worth the eternal reward for those who believe and follow him. It is all about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. And then one last scripture is the worship team, whoever's coming up, and then we'll go ahead and pray. Because this is the point, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 17. Paul isn't just making a defense because he doesn't want to be killed, though I'm sure he doesn't. But the point is Jesus. He's trying to tell people about Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 17. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You were once one way, just like it says in The Chosen, and now you're another way because of Jesus. All that old stuff is gone, wiped out, cleansed away, washed away. And now you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your cleansing work on the cross. I thank you that you said it is finished and it is so. We ask you, Father, to help us to remember the path that you have led us on. We help. We ask you to help us to remember our past, not to just be reminded to be put to shame, 
but to remember your glory, your love, your grace, your mercy, that you even took us out of that, cleaned us up, and took us on a whole new path. We ask you, Father, to help us to remember all the things that you've done for us so that we can tell others that there is hope in this world, that you are still at work. Even though things seem bleak, even though things seem a mess, you are still here. You are still calling people to your Son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, fill us and help us to be empowered to do the things you've called us to do. Help us to find the gifts that you have given us, Holy Spirit, for the glory and praise of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the building of the church, because we're all needed and we're all made new through Jesus. Bless everybody here in Jesus' holy name. Amen.